Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. I am so thrilled to see you here tonight. I want to thank you for coming. Let's open in a word of prayer and just ask the Lord to bless our time. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the opportunity we can gather together this night and worship you and honor our Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray your blessing upon our time. Thank you for giving everyone safety as they uh, traveled here tonight with the uh, express purpose to worship you, our God, and to worship Christ and to uh, be together with uh, your people. And we're just so blessed uh, by the opportunity to be here. We thank you again. Pray your blessing upon our time. And may you take your word and impress it into our hearts and minds. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you've all come out in the weather. I know it's kind of sketchy out there a little bit. It's a little chilly and snowy and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just thrilled that you're here. If you're a first-time a guest with us, first-time visitor, a special welcome to you. We're thankful that you're here. If there's anything we can do to be an encouragement to you in your walk with Christ or you want to know more about Christ, just uh, come up and grab one of us, and we'd be more than glad to talk to you afterwards. Um, tonight, with uh, Christmas Eve, obviously, uh, a, a great amount of excitement about uh, anticipation tomorrow being Christmas Day. And I, I'm just thankful that we have the opportunity to gather uh, tonight in, a, in advance of that. Uh, we will meet tomorrow, uh, 10.30. There won't be any Sunday school, but we'll be in normal worship service at 10.30 in the morning and uh, uh, no evening service. So if you can come, it would be great for you to be here tomorrow to worship uh, our God again together collectively. Now, tonight's not going to be a normal exposition, in part because it's dark in here and it's a little different tonight. So what we're going to do is uh, just uh, some thoughts for us to consider out of a text I was reading this last week. In Matthew 11, verse 28, and it says there, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I don't know if that sounds like an odd uh, Christmas Eve uh, text, but I think it's the perfect Christmas Eve text. Uh, I've uh, uh, entitled the sermon, um, Come to Me, A Christmas Invitation, because I really think that's uh, the text there. That's what the text is, uh, Christ is calling us to. Uh, When you come to uh, Christmas Eve, uh, when you come to New Year's, uh, it's a time just in the calendar really to stop, take a breath, and look at your life. I mean, everybody in the room can know that our, our lives are moving at, at warp speed. Another year is gone. That time spent, it's lost, and it's never going to be regained. <clears throat> and you can't use it again. So I think these milestones in the calendar are really an opportunity for us and consider all, to stop and consider our lives. Uh, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the gathering, the busyness, to really stop and ponder life. And I think it's a great time to ask really important questions like, how is it with my soul? Who do I think Jesus Christ is? What, What do I make of him? And most importantly, what will be my future, <clears throat> excuse me, when my time in this world is over and I celebrate Christmas here on earth no more. Because the reality is our days are coming to an end. Sadly, we know that even this year there are some who are missing at our Christmas gatherings. Uh, a year ago they were with us, but now they're gone. And the fact is, the reality is we're all facing that inevitable end. Because none of us is certain that we will celebrate another Christmas. So I think the time of the year is a good opportunity to pause and consider where you're at with the Lord. 
I think the time of the year with the invitation here <clears throat> that Christ makes is eternally an important question, or really an eternally important invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, again, that invitation, I think, by Christ is an invitation to <clears throat> stop and consider the condition of your soul, really, again, the salvation of your own soul. This past week, I was uh, reading through a variety of different things, and one of my favorite authors, as many of you know, is uh, J.C. Ryle. And so I was reading some of old sermons uh, that he had written or given a number of years back in a form of a variety of different tracts. And, and in that book, uh, that he actually had this uh, verse and I thought it was an interesting text, so I just kind of sat and read through it, and I was really encouraged by it. And I thought, this is a very encouraging portion of Scripture uh, for us to consider, to consider the invitation that Christ makes here on this Christmas Eve. Because one of the things you want to do is to make sure that in this life uh, that you have a proper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. You want to understand who he is. You want to understand why he has come. You want to have a, have a proper understanding of why we celebrate Christmas. Now, there's nothing wrong with the lights and the trees and the family gatherings and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things you want to make sure that you don't do is you just get caught up in all of those cultural trappings, all the cultural aspects of the celebration of Christmas, and then miss the person of Christ. To miss the real reason for the celebration, the real reason and a proper understanding of why we celebrate Christmas and why Christ came into the world. And before the evening is over, I'm going to give you a very simple outline, a very simple uh, biblical understanding of Christmas that you can take with you and think on so that your joy might not be just a worldly joy uh, that passes at the end of the season. Have you ever noticed that? I noticed when I was a kid, the one time in the, in the whole calendar year that people seemed to be nice with each other was Christmas. And then as soon as Christmas was over, it was back to the old ways, right? Back to not treating each other kindly. And that's a pretty sad commentary, but that's man in a fallen world. I want your joy to be one that lasts from time through eternity because I want you to have a proper understanding of Christmas. Now, again, in the situation, the context of tonight, I can't do a full exposition as I would normally do. I just want to pull out some truth, some observations of this portion of text as we uh, consider it. And I'm just going to steal uh, Ryle's outline. And really, outline the outline that he uses is really just a series of questions to look at the text that I think are helpful. There are four of them. Who's the speaker of the invitation, number one? Number two, to whom is the invitation addressed? Number three, what does the speaker offer to give? And then four, what does the speaker ask us to do? So there are four questions over top of this text out of Matthew 11 that are going to help us consider really the condition of our soul. And again, the reason for the celebration of Christmas and then the person of Jesus Christ himself, whose birth we're celebrating. So let's begin with the first one. Question number one, who's the speaker of the invitation? Again, the invitation has come to me. Again, the understanding of your answer to that question is the most important question you'll ever give an answer to. It's the most important answer in all of the universe because the reality of the fact that everybody's eternal destiny is based on a proper understanding of the question, who's Jesus Christ? Now, the Bible says of him that he's no ordinary man. As uh, Carl was reading after out of various texts, the, the, the Bible says that he is the eternal son of God given. Carl read a couple passages out of uh, uh, the book of Isaiah some 700 years or so before the birth of Christ. 
Isaiah says of him in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born to us. Listen, a son will be given to us. That means he pre-exists. Government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So the person in this text that makes the invitation to come to me is none other than the Eternal God. God come in the flesh, Mighty God, the Eternal Promised One, the Son given, the Prince of Peace. And the truth is, uh, in this world, uh, men can't live in peace. They don't know peace. They'll never know peace in this world or eternally until they know the Prince of Peace. You know as well as I do, men try to live without this, without God in the world. They have made an utter mess of it, an utter mess of their own lives. Facts prove it. War after war, murder after murder after murder, heartache, destruction, misery. Man's feet are swift to shed blood. That's a lot of mankind in this world. Don't let anybody fool you. Men can't govern this world. They can't even govern themselves. So every politician that tells you he has the answer to your problems, you know, first, first thing he's telling you is not the truth because he can't govern himself. He can't govern the world. Apart from the Prince of Peace, apart from the, the mighty God, the eternal one promised. And again, that's the truth. We see it everywhere around us. We see the world's not getting better. The world's getting worse, and exponentially so by the moment. The world's literally unraveling all around us. But here's one who offers this invitation. He says, come to me. Come to me, this child born, this son given, the one whom the government of the world will indeed rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And again, that's the announcement that was made at his birth there in Luke chapter 2, the shepherds. Here the angels come. There's that magnificent display of the glory of God, light everywhere from heaven. Luke 2 verse 9, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened and the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. So be a sign for you, find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That little child is the one who makes this invitation as a man. It says, Come to me. The one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of the Savior, the one who does indeed bring peace on earth among men. The, the eternal son given, Emmanuel, God with us. The greatest and best friend that any man could ever have, the Lord Jesus Christ, again, the eternal son of God. Come to me. Again, come to me, God, our very God, co-equal with the Father, the one who by all things in the world were made, the one who possesses all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge, the one who is all power, omnipotent power in heaven and earth. The one who has the keys of death and hell. The one who is the Savior. The appointed mediator between God and man. The one who 
will come one day to be the judge and the king over all of the earth. That's the one who makes the invitation, come to me. And all through the New Testament, he makes those very claims for himself. Jesus Christ does, that he was eternal, that he had come down from heaven, that he was sent into the world by the Father, that he is the only Savior of the world, that he was the one who determined people's eternal destiny. He was the one who came and claimed that he had the right to be honored and worshipped on a co-equal basis with the eternal Father. He was the one who claimed that he had the he possessed living water, and the one who would drink of that water would never die, but live forever. But the world doesn't know him. The world wants to put him in a category of a, a good man, a moral teacher. Somebody who was just a good man. But if you're familiar at all with the sayings of Jesus, familiar at all with the New Testament, you know that Jesus said things categorically that would make it utterly impossible to put him in just that category. Jesus said things repeatedly that you could come to no other conclusion that he was God come in the flesh. And to come to any other understanding other than the fact that he claimed to be God come in the flesh is to come to a misunderstanding of who Jesus Christ really is, which is an eternally damning error. Jesus Christ being the most important person in this world ever to have lived, ever to have walked this earth. Jesus made the claim in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. An exclusive claim that finally, fully, immediately shuts the door to all other religious systems, all other worldly religious leaders. The statement that he makes there is either true or false. And if the statement that he makes that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, if that statement is a false statement, then you can dismiss him. Dismiss safely the person of Jesus and not listen to another thing that he has to say. However, if the statement that he makes is true, then you will never enter into eternal life. You'll never enter into heaven by the works of your own hands, by the works of your own righteousness. You'll never get to heaven by your own effort. You'll never get into the Father's presence through a law. You'll never get to heaven through Mary. You'll never get to heaven by the way of the Mormon church or by way of the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because salvation is found only in the biblical Jesus Christ, the one who claimed No one comes to the Father but through me. Again, a statement that he made repeatedly. He's the one who says, come. He's the one who throws out that invitation, come to me. So again, when you ask the question, who is the one who makes that statement, come, come to me, it's not enough to say, again, he's just a a good man. It doesn't go far enough. Again, the claims that Jesus made, if they're not true, he's a deranged madman or a diabolical deceiver because he claimed that men could find eternal life through him if they came to him. And if that's not true, then that statement is abject evil and an utter lie. But if it is true, and it is, if the claims that Jesus repeatedly made are valid, and they are, if he's exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the eternal God come in the human flesh, then again, men need to listen to him. You need to listen to him. You've come for a variety of different reasons. Uh, somebody invited you. You wanted to come on your own. wonder if the guy behind the pulpit will have anything to say. Well, I have something to say, and I'm speaking to you. 
So speaking right to you. You need to listen to him. And you need to be obedient to him. And you need to come to him. Because salvation is found in no other man. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So who is the speaker of the invitation, come to me? He's the one who must be listened to. Again, none other than the eternal God. The one and only Savior. And he is the physical incarnation of the Father's love. The physical incarnation of the Father's love, the physical manifestation of God's eternal love. Again, he is the one who left the courts of heaven for our sake. He is the one who laid aside his glory for a period of time that he might come to this earth, become incarnate. That means put on our flesh. That he would become a man so that he could voluntarily come and become the substitute, our substitute. Paul says of him in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who knew no sin, that would be Jesus Christ, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that out of God's love and the love of the Son, God sent his Son, the Son came out of love, and God took the sinless Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and placed upon him, or credited to his account, if you will, all of our sin. And he judged our sin in Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The fact is somebody has to pay that penalty. And the fact that all people die in this world is objective proof that all men are under sin. And all men are accountable before God and all men are guilty before this holy God. And men can either pay that penalty themselves in eternal punishment or they can turn from themselves and they can turn to the substitute and trust the substitute who God has given again out of his tremendous love to stand in men's place and through him be forgiven because it's Jesus Christ and him alone who satisfies the justice of God the holiness of God it's Jesus Christ alone that could turn away the wrath of God it's Jesus Christ alone who is the sinless one who takes on the sin of the sinner the innocent one who dies in the place of the guilty and again it was the love of God that sent Christ into this world it was the love of God that caused Christ to come and for him to be in that virgin's womb, to him to be born of a woman, to him to live in this world for 33 years. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, that they both willingly undertook to pay the debt of our sin. And Christ willingly not only incarnates himself, but he willingly is part of the plan that's going to send him to the cross where he can make atonement for our sin. And again, the innocent one die for the guilty. That's the one who speaks. That's who one, the one who issues the invitation. And more correctly, it's really a, a command. Come to me. And he's the one who has to be listened to, must be listened to. Again, he is the eternal God and he knows what it means to be a man. He knows what it means to have a body just like ours. The Bible says he was made a man in all things without sin. Sin being the only exception. He knows what it means to live life in a fallen world. He tasted poverty, hunger, weariness, thirst, pain, temptation. He was acquainted as a man with all of our ways, all of our conditions, all of our struggles in this fallen world. And again, he's the one who gives the invitation, come to me. The one who can be trusted, the one who must be trusted. 
the one who, when he speaks, it's impossible for him to lie, the one who's promised to never leave us or forsake us, for those who repent and place our faith in him and him alone, the one who has promised that no thing or no one will ever be able to separate us from his love. He says, come to me. This is the one who bids the invitation. This is the one who deserves your careful listening to, your careful attention. But sadly, as you know, most men in the world, in their foolishness, to their, to their eternal damnation, they miss him. They're, they're not willing to listen to him. Most men hate the gracious Savior who again came into the world out of his love. Most men won't come to him. Because if you come to him, that means you have to admit the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And most men won't do that. Because the truth is men are in sin, and men in sin love darkness, and they don't want to be exposed by the light. Therefore, for the vast majority of the world... When they come to the day known as Christmas, for them it's just nothing more than an excuse to eat too much, drink too much, expect and to give gifts. Most men in the world completely miss the Christ of Christmas. I sincerely hope that's not true of any of you in the room or any of you who are listening by way of the live stream. And if it's true up to this point in your life, I pray for you that it won't be that way after you leave this evening that you for the first time will give some attention to him, the attention that's due him. You'll give him a full and partial and impartial hearing, the one who speaks, the one who deserves your best attention. And you'll consider him and understand that he is the one who determines your eternal destiny. To the religious leaders in John chapter 8 and to all men, he says, you will die in your sin unless you believe that I am the eternal God you'll die in your sins. You better get a proper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, and there's no better time to do that than the time of Christmas. So who's the speaker of the invitation? Well, it's the sovereign God of the universe. It's God come in the flesh, the only Savior. God come to save mankind's only hope, mankind's only help. To whom is the invitation addressed? He says, come to me, here it is, all who are weary and heavy laden. Well, who's that? Easy. Everyone. Everyone. All mankind everywhere. All men scattered throughout the world. Masters, servants, employers, employees, men and women, rich and poor. Doesn't matter. Kings and subjects. Everyone living in this fallen world. All men are in this category of weary and heavy laden. The learned, the ignorant. All classes, all categories. All are burdened, weighed down by troubled care, sorrows, anxiety, discontentment, unrest, and weighed down by sin. And again, the command is, come to me all who are, present tense, right, present condition. Come to me all who are weary, labored, heavy laden, those who are tired, those who are exhausted. Tired and exhausted with their own sin, tired and exhausted with all the sin around them. When God originally made the world, it wasn't like it is now. When God originally made the world, it was a world of peace and rest, but no more. 
The world that we live in now is a place of burden and unhappiness. And it's all because of man's sin and man's rebellion against God. Sin being the universal disease that negatively affects the entire universe. Sin bringing all the corruption, all the damnation, all the thorns, the thistles in this world. Sin bringing death and heartache and sadness and separation among men and families and between man and God. And it's sin that causes men to be weary and sin that causes men to be heavy laden because sin is really the root, the foundation of all sorrow. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Again, it's an invitation to all men, all men everywhere. All who are tired. All who are tired of human wisdom. And boy, do we get enough of that? When's the last time you heard a politician? When's the last time you heard somebody on TV stand up and say, let me tell you what the problem is this world, it's sin, and Jesus Christ is the only answer. Therefore, since you've not heard that, turn it off. Because nobody you're listening to on the TV, nobody you're listening to on the news has the answer, and other politicians have the answer because they don't. They won't speak of Christ. I get pretty tired of human wisdom. All who are exhausted by their own efforts. All who are trying to achieve right standing by being good in their own. Which the Bible says is something that no man can do, something no man will ever do. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good, not even one. The Bible says by the works of the law, no flesh will ever be justified in his sight. And every religious system, I tell my people this all the time, every religious religious system in this world in some fashion or form is telling the worshiper that they can do something to earn their salvation. Something they do, something they don't do. They can, by their own efforts, make themselves right with God. In Jesus Christ, the Bible says that's impossible. In fact, in the context of the Matthew 11, uh, 28 statement that I've been referring to, uh, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders in the time who are heaping rules upon rules upon rules upon people, saying that if you do these things, you can make yourselves right before God, which, again, the Bible and God himself says is something man can't do. So Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, not just those who are suffering under the burden of false religious systems, which there are many. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, those who are tired, troubled, beaten down by all the problems in the world. All those who are fighting with problems and struggles and anxieties of daily living. All those who are burdened down, disappointed, carrying heartache after heartache, sorrow after frustration, more than they can handle. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down with sin and guilt. Come to me who have not found an answer or a relief anywhere from this issue called your life. You who turn to drugs and alcohol. You who turn to illicit sexual activity and you know none of that satisfies. None of that takes away the heartache. None of that takes away the sorrow. All it does is increase the guilt and add to the shame. Christ says, come to me, you who can't shut off your conscience. It's always accusing you. 
You who are constantly living in the realm of no peace, overburdened again by your sin. You who would like some peace just for a moment. Jesus says to you, come to me. To all those who know they're hopeless or helpless, all those who know that they're lost, all who know that they're desperate, longing to be free from themselves, weary, heavy laden, pressed upon by all sides, waiting for someone to deliver them. To you, the Lord Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, the Savior says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Who's the speaker of the invitation? Well, the sovereign God of the universe who's incarnated himself out of the tremendous love of the Godhead for men. Who's the invitation addressed to? Everyone. All who are weary. Everyone here tonight in the room. Everyone who's listening to me via the live stream. All who are weary and heavy laden. And the third point, what does the speaker offer? To give rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Rest means to cease from labor, cease from striving. It's an opportunity to recover. It's an opportunity to be refreshed. It's an opportunity to collect one's strength. And the kind of rest that the sovereign of the universe promises to give those who come to him is freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from depression, freedom from the uncertainty of life in a fallen world, and a clean conscience. That's the kind of rest that he offers. Peace. Peace of mind. Peace in the assurance of salvation. Peace with God. Again, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Again, when God made the world, he didn't make it. Uh, the world intentionally as it is that men would be unhappy in this world but again all the unhappiness the sadness the weariness the burden all becomes all comes because of man's rebellion and sin now sin is not the usual diagnosis that men would give all the issues in their life or the cause of all their problems but without question sin is the issue sin is the cause of the burden it's sin that presses upon mankind that holds man down And men weary themselves to try to find a way of escape, a way to solve all their problems they can't solve. Sin is the root. Sin is the cause of all the problems in the world, all the problems in your life on a personal level, all the problems in this country on a national level, all the problems around the world on an international level. And the truth is, there's nothing men can do to set themselves free from this burden. They've been trying for a long time, and again, it's not getting any better. It's just getting worse. There's nothing that men can do to free themselves from the burden of life in a fallen world except one thing, which is the fourth point. Who's the speaker of the invitation? Who's the invitation address? What does the speaker offer to give? The fourth point, what is the speaker ask us to do what is that come just simply come come to me all who are weary and heavy laden i will give you rest it's an open invitation to anyone and everyone given by the sovereign god the sovereign creator of the universe the savior the deliverer if you're tired if you're weary 
you're sick of sin in your life, sick of sin in the world, Christ bids you come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The, the I will is in the emphatic. The I is in the emphatic. I will give you rest. You can count it. I myself, I and unlike any other person in this universe, I am unlike any other religious figure out of any other religious system or religious leader. I am the only one who has the power to give you what you most desperately need, and that's rest for your soul. And all you have to do is come. Doesn't ask you to do anything about your situation. Doesn't ask you to go and work harder, try harder, work more. Just simply says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest at once. Come. Come without delay. Again, it's an urgent plea. It's an urgent invitation. Again, a command by Christ to come this day while there is still time because tomorrow may not come for some. When Christ said, come to me, he didn't say, come to church. He didn't say, come do some kind of religious activity. He said, come to me. Again, the call come to me is an invitation to men who are at the end of their own resources. They're tired and they want to end their rebellion against God. And to come to Christ biblically means more than just quote-unquote believing in Jesus because in the book of James it says that the devil and the demons believe in Jesus, but they're most certainly not saved and they're most certainly not going to enjoy any kind of peace in time or in eternity because of their rebellion against God. To come to Christ means you believe exactly who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, that he's God incarnate, that he's mankind's only hope, he's your only hope, your substitute, your savior. To come to Christ means that you trust him and trust him only for your salvation and you trusting him for your deliverance. To come to Christ means that you're willing to confess your sin and repent of it, to turn away from your sin and cry out to God for mercy through Christ and follow him. To come to Christ means that you're willing to submit to him in every area of your life as both Lord and Savior. To come to Christ means that you're willing from this moment forward to regularly be instructed and feed off of his word, instructed out of his word, and you personally feeding from his word. It means you're committing yourself to be part of a local fellowship. Come to Christ. And when Christ says, come to me, he means come all the way, not just part way. The, the command to come is to come all in. To come to Christ means you're no longer going to allow the world or the devil to cheat you of the eternal life that God desires for you to have through his son. Come to Christ means you're going to come to him directly, thoroughly, and you're going to trust him and trust him only. Come to Christ means that you come by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know you don't deserve God's kindness, but you come anyway because God is a God of tremendous mercy and bids every man to come to Christ. To come to Christ means you realize you have no merit on your own. No ability on your own to stand before him. No fitness in and of yourself. So you throw away any kind of internal idea of goodness and righteousness because you don't have any. And now you come to an understanding of that. You don't have any intrinsically. If you're going to come to Christ, you have to come and have a righteousness that's borrowed. A goodness that is given from him to you. To come to Christ means you come with the hymn writer fully in agreement, saying, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. 
foul I to the fountain, fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. To come to Christ, he means you come as, as a poor, guilty, undeserving sinner. You believe that he is the only one who justifies. He's the one who justifies the ungodly and counts their faith as righteousness, as it says in the book of Romans. Come to Christ. Embrace him only. Understand he is God, our very God. Understand he is the one John writes of in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world should be saved through him. He who believes is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Come to Christ, you realize that God saves by gift of his grace. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Being justified is a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. That's why we give gifts at Christmas. Acknowledging the greatest gift that God has given men, that his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Come find help. Come find hope. Come find a new life. Find joy through a reconciled relationship with God. And you know, that's exactly what the shepherds did, right? When they saw that light, that glory from heaven. Those guys were out in the field watching their flocks by name. The announcement of the birth for today in the city of David that has been born for you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know what they did? They ran to him. I think the King James says, made haste. They ran to him. Couldn't get there fast enough. They couldn't get to the person who's God's greatest gift to receive forgiveness of sin through the Savior, the one whom God had promised. When it comes to Christmas, if you want to have a biblical understanding of Christmas, you need to come to Christ. But biblically, there are three undeniable realities that exist concerning Christmas. And I'll just give them to you very quickly. This is the, the outline that I promised you at the beginning. The very reason that we have Christmas, here's point number one, the very reason that we have Christmas points to the reality of our guilt and our need of a Savior. The very fact of Christmas speaks to the fact that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves from our sin. Each and every one of us have sinned. Each and every one of us falls short of God's glory. If there were no sin, there'd be no Christmas. But the very fact that we celebrate the birth of the Savior demonstrates the fact that by God's declaration, we're all sinners. All desperately in need of a Savior. All desperately in need of coming to Christ. Again, the wages of sin is death. There's nothing that we can do to escape that reality except come to Christ. The one who stood in our place, the one who bore our punishment, the one who defeated sin and death. Sinless Son of God, they treated him as a malefactor. They murdered him. They put him on a cross and killed him on a Friday. But on a Sunday morning, he raised from the dead. Amen? That's hope to the world. That's the one who says, come to me. 
That's the one who says, come to me, the one who paid our penalty, which is death. The one who paid that penalty in full and as the perfect sacrifice defeated death and was raised from the dead. You need that kind of Savior. I need that kind of Savior. The very reason we have Christmas points to the reality of our guilt, our need of a Savior. Point number two, the reality of Christmas speaks to the tremendous love that God has for mankind. Again, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God desires that men would come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. God wants to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to take away our sin. The Father sent him to be the Savior of the world. Grace and uh, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to men through the person of Jesus Christ. God desires that men would come to Christ and be saved. Enjoy forgiveness of sin. Enjoy peace. Enjoy reconciliation. A reconciled relationship with God. A new life. Enjoy rest. The Bible says amazingly that God loved us not while we were loving him, but God loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Romans 5. And it's this Christ who says, come. He begs you, don't die. Don't face eternal punishment. Come to me, the perfect sacrifice. The one who came out of love for you. Come to the only begotten, the only one of his kind, the child born, the son given, Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the God-man, born of a virgin which links him to humanity, born existing God without sin, therefore the only one able to bear our shame, our guilt. Come to Christ. Come to that little baby given, that one who was born up to become a man for the express purpose to die, to go to Calvary's cross, to shed his blood in order that he might become our substitute, bearing our sins in his body. Come to Christ. Christ in the world speaks of our guilt and sin. Christ in the world speaks of God's love. Lastly, Christ in the world and the whole season of Christmas demands a response from you. Don't let this day just come and go. Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, day after Christmas, and you're back to the normal routines of life. Don't do that. If you're here this evening and don't know Christ, the only way for Christmas to become a true time of hope and encouragement for you, for it to be a real time of great joy that goes again beyond just this season a joy that goes throughout the entire year into eternity the only way for you to possess that is if you would come to Christ that's the gift again that God offers this world in rebellion against him his dear son the ultimate gift the ultimate gift of grace the ultimate gift of mercy the ultimate gift of love and true joy Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with the Father, and a conscience that no longer accuses you because now there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Our Father and our God, we're so thankful for the great invitation to come to Christ as we stop and understand the reason for you out of your tremendous love sending Christ and for Christ to come. 
I pray, Lord, that the words that I've said here tonight would be helpful, that they would be challenging for those who you are speaking to, who perhaps this evening don't know Christ, that they would stop and pause. That is the appropriate response to give a response to Christ in the world, give a response to Christmas to come to the Savior and enjoy him and enjoy you with a reconciled relationship. And for those who of us who have already come, we honor you and worship you and adore you and are just so thankful that you have loved us and have opened our hearts and minds that we might receive the truth and that we have come to Christ and only by your goodness and kindness. Therefore, we praise you, we love you, and we thank you again for the great privilege of gathering together this night to worship you because you're worthy of our worship. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as you